Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. While there may be 63 million more cracks in the glass ceiling, the recent election brought into bold relief the challenges faced by women in leadership and in the workplace. And while electoral politics is not the perfect hothouse for understanding the issues of women in leadership, it certainly reflects back many of the problems, challenges, and even opportunities that women face today. It's interesting to look at some of the statistics. Women account for a majority of college graduates, but only about a quarter of full professors and university presidents. Almost half of law school graduates are women, but only 17% of the equity partners in major firms. In business, women constitute a third of MBA graduates, but only 5% of Fortune 500 CEOs. So how might this change? Will it be by women becoming more like men, or will it take a fundamental shift for women to co-opt the rules and redefine the playing field? We're going to talk about this today with my guest, Sally Krawcheck. She is the co-founder and CEO of Elevest. She is chair of the Elevate Network. She has held posts as CEO of Smith Barney, CEO of Merrill Lynch Wealth Management, and the CFO of Citigroup. It is my pleasure to welcome Sally Krawcheck here to talk about her new book, Own It, The Power of Women at Work. Sally, thanks so much for joining us. Jeff, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. It's great to be here. It's great to have you here. For so long, we have talked about these issues in the context, I suppose, of, of how women can do things that are more competitive or more like the way men have operated in the workplace. And in fact, the answer seems to be very different than that, as we're finding out. Well, that's right. You've hit the nail on the head. And, and it's interesting because I wrote this book, of course, before the election results. And noted, as you did, geez, you know, okay, we didn't make it to the highest office in the land. A woman was not elected. But we've seen a stalling out in business for some years that for, despite all the conversation and discussion and energy around the issue of the advancement of women in business, despite, quite frankly, all of the research that indicates that companies are not only better off with diverse leadership teams, they're substantially better off with diverse leadership teams progress has stalled. I wrote this book in part to, I hope, show a different path, a path that shows business is changing quickly, so it's changing what one needs to be successful, and that we women have got enormous amounts of power in order to drive this change. There's lots of talk always about the degree to which business is changing and that the workplace has certainly become more collaborative and that the fundamental nature of the workplace is certainly different than it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. In your experience, how true is that and how widespread is it? Massively true. And it's not even just 20 years ago or 10 years ago, five years ago. When I was running Merrill Lynch, uh, one example, one example, when I was running Merrill Lynch, um, information was so valuable. We were the biggest of the wealth management businesses. We conducted weekly surveys of our clients such that we knew what they were thinking and their satisfaction level every Friday afternoon. Smith Barney, which is number two in the industry, it was so expensive, we didn't do it there. UBS, number three, so expensive, it wasn't done there. Today, a mere five or six years later, that same information is available for a few thousand dollars with a high-end survey. Um, that same information is available about 84% of the way with a survey monkey survey. And you and I can ask the question on Twitter and hit the side of a barn and get in the general direction. 
So it's gone from I've got information and you don't. It's valuable. You don't have it. Therefore, my management style can be command and control. I can tell everybody what to do. To Everybody has the information. So wait a minute. We need to do things like work together, debate and analyze it. And then the leadership becomes more about coordinating, communicating, encouraging, and inspiring than it is simply, I, I know what to do and you don't, so just do it. To what extent is generational change a part of this, or are we seeing even those of previous generations, Gen Xers and Boomers, understand the reality that you're talking about? Well, I think the I think it's through the generations because it's really being driven by technology. That being said, what I think we see happening, particularly amongst millennial women right now, is that they are fired up about the results of the election. You know, it's interesting because to drop a, a name, I, I've had the privilege of spending time with Gloria Steinem, and she would point out that um, women are the one group that become more, um, that, that, be, that get, oops, sorry, <laughs> that, that actually become more radical as they age. Um, whereas most, mostly you think about um, individuals who, you know, become less radical, more mellow, more conservative as they age. Well, women, and I know when I was younger that in my 20s, I sort of thought this whole feminist thing is over. Um, you know, we've got this. This was my mother's issue. Well, younger women today are fired up about the election. The second thing I would tell you that's really important, the gender pay gap, which at today's rate will take decades and by some studies, 150 plus years to close longer if one is a woman of color that today technology means that we are able to determine our own pay gap, that we can use services like GetRaised or Comparably or Payscale.com or any of those to understand how much money we should be paid. And so what we're seeing is the number one reason millennial women are leaving their jobs is not for better work-life balance, and it's not because they want to raise a family. It's to make more money, and they're doing it at a greater rate than millennial men. Talk about it in the context of the education gap, because certainly it is different, not just among millennial women, but among college-educated women versus non-college-educated women. Well, sure. And, and what I would say about you know the book Own It is it really is written to professional women. I find that we tend to hold um, so many of this, the, the men's books, we, we tend to say, okay, this is who you're talking to. You're talking to entrepreneurs. You're talking to executives. You're talking to what? Women's books, we tend to always ask, what are you doing for all women? And I can't share a story for all women because my jobs were as a professional woman. Um, I can't speak to all women. I would, you know, never have gotten the book written because I would have spent my entire life researching. Here's what I can tell you. What I can tell you is that when companies have more diverse leadership teams, more gender diversity at that senior level table, there's research that indicates there is a smaller gender pay gap. Um, I believe what follows from that is also more, um, I would say, woman-friendly, but let's say human-friendly work policies, um, such that we'll not only have a flexible program, perhaps, but flexibility without shame, um, that I believe that can lead to uh, greater parental leave policies. And so these things, all of these things can go together. We know that when there are more women in leadership, that there's greater employee engagement that occurs, that employees are happier, that there's less risk, that the returns on the company are better, 
that there's more innovation. So those healthier companies lead to healthier job prospects for everybody. So there's an effect that is, goes throughout the socioeconomic cycle or, or spectrum here um, that's good for everyone. Certainly, we read about and we hear about more and more CEOs that understand this, all the points that you're talking about. To what extent has that filtered up to the boardroom? To what extent do boards of directors today understand this? Well, here's the challenge. You know, CEOs understand it, but again, the progress has stalled out. Uh, And the progress in my old industry, Wall Street, which went into the downturn white, male, and middle-aged, came out and is today whiter, maler, and middle-ager. Now, wouldn't you expect that an industry that had gone through a crisis that brought our economy to its knees, that went into it non-diverse, that diversity would have improved and probably substantially, hey, that didn't work, let's try something else. And there's research that indicates that in trading markets, Homogenous, tra- homogenous groups tend to overtrust each other and misprice the markets. Well, that's exactly what happened in part during the financial crisis. So the CEOs understand it, but they're not doing much about it. Okay, fine, they've got this diversity group and they have this mentoring program, but that's different from real progress. And to my estimation, what I saw happen certainly on Wall Street is We'd love to do something. And by the way, we've got the diversity group and we're doing this and we're doing that and we're doing that. But for this job, this job is so important and we're under pressure that we've got to put Jim in. And Jim, of course, looks like the per- a lot like the person who's making the promotion. I would love to promote Susie or I'd love to promote, you know, Jose or Jamal or somebody else. But we just can't right now. And so what the board hears, and I've been on several boards and in tons of board meetings, is we are really committed to this. We're really working. Here's what we're doing. However, for this very senior job, we need this person. And the board, by its nature, you know, if you break it, you own it. If you say to the CEO, nope, 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 we're going to completely override you on that and we're going to put Susie in it, um, you break it, you own it. You end up, you know, fearing that you will lose your CEO. To what extent, uh, stay with the finance, you know, in, in your business, in the financial industry, mm-hmm. are women even interested in those jobs, particularly given what happened during the crash? <laughs> well, well, let's not blame the women, okay? So it's, it's not that Wall Street isn't, and I'm, ne- I'm teasing you here, of course. You know, we, can, we should not say it's not that Wall Street, Wall Street trying to promote women or bring in women, but the women just don't want it. Um, in fact, it's funny, I was on TV the other day and, and a portfolio manager, so in the financial services industry, said to me, we love women. We just think they're such great employees. We just can't keep them. And I turned to him, I said, have you tried to promote them? And he went bright red, bright red. So here, so, you know, if you, if your daughter wanted to go onto a trading floor, would you advise her to? Um, as they are today, which is non-diverse, it might be hard for you to advise her to as an individual. As groups, however, um, again, the research is clear that this would reduce the volatility and the risk in our markets if we were to increase the diversity. Um, I believe the financial services industry has done a poor job of branding itself. Um, Women, and I go through this in the book, we tend to look for certain things when we look for employment. 
Um, we Yes, we look for money, but it doesn't rank number one for us. It does rank number one for the gentleman. We look for meaning and purpose. That's really important, women tell us, um, in, in their jobs and in their work. We look for the ability to learn. We look for who we will be working with. And it's interesting because my old industry, the wealth management industry, has a great story when it comes to meaning and purpose. We are investing the earnings and the the assets of the American families in order to help them live better lives. I mean, what you know, and help their children go to college, help them start businesses. I mean, what is better than that? Um, but somehow, well, somehow we all know how Wall Street's brand instead has become about uh, the crisis, about making money for the sake of money, et cetera. Um, so they've done a poor job of of making themselves attractive to broader swaths of people. And this comes back around to really what we started talking about at the very beginning of this conversation, that yes, this conversation is about women in the workplace, but it's really about the changing nature of the workplace. And the financial services industry may be the penultimate example in terms of the degree to which it needs to change. But this change needs to take place in a very structural way in so many industries. That's right. That's right. Here's what, here's what I think is, is different going forward. We talked about the information that individuals have, which I just didn't have in my day. Um, so in my day, well, I hope it's still my day, but in my <laughs> earlier day, if a company wasn't treating me or women or people well, my choices were I could stay there gut it out, hope for a new boss. I could go to another company with very little information. I'd take a friend for a drink and say, hey, how is it there? And he or she would say, it's great. And I'd say, okay, here we go. Or I could go home. We, you know, Technology is changing business in such a way that today, again, I, we talked about it before, I can know my pay gap. I can have that discussion with my boss. Or I can go to another company. I, I'll know what I should be making there. But also, very importantly, I'll know much more about the culture of that company because there are startups that are actually crowdsourcing cultures of companies. I can know, compare their maternity or parental leave to others. I can go to Fairy Godboss and, and see that. So there's the ability to know much more. Uh, by the way, if you go to my, the LFS website, we have a, an ebook called Mind the Gap. Um, that talks about closing all the different gender money gaps that exist with, with a wealth of resources um, and websites that one can go to with this information. So stay at the company, go to another company, or the third option, which didn't exist until recently, start my own. I mean, before in the day, I, oh, I'm going to start my business. I guess I have to build a factory and I have to have widget plans and I have to have a whole you know, you know, group to make the widgets and a sales force and I got to advertise on one of the big three TV and, ah, you know, okay, I can't do that. Today, the costs are coming down so much, the cost of technology. I mean, we've gone from servers to in the cloud. We've gone from even, even things like real estate. We've gone from long-term leases to WeWorks. We've gone from hiring an HR department to Zenefit. Heck, at LFS, we've gone from a receptionist to an iPad. We've gone from business travel to video um, conferencing. So the costs are coming down such that you can start a business, you know, from your savings in some cases. You can start a business raising money from friends and family in some cases. And the final option, and by the way, women are starting businesses at two times the rate of men right now. And the number one reason they start a business is to work at the business at which they want to work. 
And then the fourth option is to have a non-conventional career, consulting or freelancing. And again, the infrastructure has built up around that in a way that that is approachable for individuals. It just wasn't a few years ago. To what extent is that working against women within the corporate environment that we were talking about earlier? The fact that there are so many more options, the fact that that some of the best and the brightest can engage in this kind of disruption that you're talking about and start their own businesses and do it their own way. The fact that that's keeping them out of or preventing them from or, or encouraging them not to go into the corporate world, to what extent is that having an impact in and of itself? Well, I think it is having, it is having an impact and will have an increasing impact, but I think the impact is a positive for women. I think it can be, over time, a real negative for companies, a real negative that, again, that we just didn't have that many choices as women. And so more individuals would stay at a job that they weren't happy in because they had to or they needed to or there weren't other options. I think companies today can be hollowed out, that if they don't have competitive um, flexibility programs, competitive parental leave programs, if they are all talking no action on promoting women, not only do the women have more options and are able to leave, but, but women today control $5 trillion of investable assets, control another six with their spouses and partners, will inherit 70% of the $40 trillion of wealth transfer over the next few decades. So these women are increasingly taking their money and investing in companies whose values align with theirs. Values-based investing is growing like a weed and it is driven by women and millennials. Secondly, today, women direct 80% of consumer spending. And historically, our only choice was, geez, I saw that, you know, what I think is just that unbelievably obnoxious Carl's Jr. ad. I'm not going to buy hamburgers from Carl's Jr. Today, we can walk into the grocery store. We can, with our phones, um, find, you know, look at the, the those little um, doohickey, you know, things that, show you, you know, those little doohickey things that show you how much you have to pay. We can scan that on our phone and a service like Buy Up Index will tell us what the gender makeup is and what the gender policies are for the companies we buy from. Or we can go to Done Good on our uh, browser extension and again, buy from companies that whose values align with ours. So we have the investable assets, we um, have the consumer spending. And the third thing is we're more than half of the workforce. And so where you started, which made me smile is, can somebody just remind me why so much of the advice to women for so long has been to act like men, been to ape the characteristics that men bring to the workforce, when in fact the power of diversity for companies is diversity not bringing in individuals of difference and telling them to act like the majority, when women have seen a backlash from it, because if we are too masculine, we get hit by that as well. The research is clear. Um, and when it's exhausting, it's exhausting to be something you're not. Women report this all the time. That's a reason that they leave the workforce. And what role then do you think that the social, cultural, and even political divides that we have today has an impact on what we're talking about? You know, it's, it's an interesting question, and I'm pausing on it, because what I certainly have seen 
is that the discourse around these topics has gotten um, less collegial, to say the least. Um, it's interesting. When I started writing about these topics uh, a few years ago on LinkedIn, um, and I would say there's a gender pay gap, and, but da, 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 and the comments I would get, which, you know, as you may be aware, LinkedIn is, is not anonymous. You can tell who people are. I mean, you can tell the company they work at. You can tell um, what their title is at the company. And what I would hear, I talk about gender pay gap, and I excellent, you know, point Sally and let me add another. Um, and that was really the, the line. Today, it is not quite, Sally, you ignorant slut, um, but, you know, we're, <laughs> we're, it's, it's much sparkier. It is, there is no gender pay gap. How dare you? Um, this is an outrage. You women are too greedy. I mean, read some of them there or don't because it's too upsetting and depressing. And I always want to say, you know, I can see you, right? And what's particularly frustrating about it is that in this ugliness of discourse, the advancement of women is good for everybody. And so I'm now having to stunt this helping, but I'm starting off my writing with, hey, guys, hey, folks, this is good for the women. It's good for their families, in particular, their daughters benefit from seeing their mothers engaged in the economy. They, you know, then tend to make more money themselves when they grow up and are in the workforce. It's good for the companies. We've gone through the research that companies outperform um, as a result of this. It's good for the economy. And this is what, you know, you say to um, some folks who are, are non-believers, geez, do, you know, does your business have any women clients or customers? And would it be good for them to have more money because they would, could then buy your goods and services to a greater degree? So it's good for the economy. It's good for society. It's also good for an what's a seemingly intractable issue that we have, which is the retirement savings crisis, $13 trillion in size, is actually a woman's crisis because we women live five, six, eight years longer than men and retire with two-thirds the money of men. If we close the gender pay gap, we close the retirement savings gap by a third. That's a huge deal. And so it's, it's interesting because there is, does seem to be permission in this country right now um, for an uglier discourse, uh, which sometimes simply, you know, and in this case, I believe is not based on fact. It winds up being based on alternative facts, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sally Krawcheck, her book is Own It. The Power of Women at Work. Sally, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you.